failure is always an option. And I love this dog because he's completely failed and he has no idea. His eyes are still wide. He's ready to catch whatever comes his way. And uh, I think that might be me sometimes. Who knows? It might be me right now. We'll know in 45 minutes, hour and a half, something like that. I'm kidding, kidding. Okay, so uh, Michigan, Ypsilanti, just after midnight, guy walks into a Burger King, waves a gun around, and he says, this is a holdup. And it's a true story. I found it on the Internet, so I guarantee it. Uh, <clears throat> so he says, so he says, give me your cash. And again, he's, he's waving a gun around. The guy behind the counter says, I'm so sorry, sir. I can't open the cash register without an order, without a food order. And the, the would-be robber is like, are you serious? I'm robbing you. He's like, I can't open it without an order. The robber is like, give me some onion rings then. I don't care. Give me onion rings. And, and then, of course, the guy behind the counter is like, well, we don't serve those for breakfast. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the would-be robber, he, you know, gets just huffs off. You know, he's disgusted. He walks out, and he doesn't rob the place. So clearly a failure. Maybe a good one, but a failure nonetheless. There's a lot of ways that we can see failure. One, it's like the thing that sneaks up on us, right? It's like we think things are going great. And everything's going well, and we're like, we've got this nailed, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we like do something stupid, and the thing falls down around our ears. And we're like, ah, how could that have happened? Sometimes, and I think this is even worse, sometimes you see it coming from a mile away, and you just feel powerless to do anything about it. You're like, maybe like that robber. He's like, once he he actually starts ordering the onion rings, he's like, "Uh, I'm... I'm never going to make this work. You know, but, but what I've come to recognize is that I don't think I've achieved anything in my life worth achieving without a pretty big degree of failure along the way. It's almost like failure in God's economy is the price tag on some of the really worthwhile stuff. Let's, let's take it out of the church for a minute. Maybe you like to play uh, a game, maybe a sport. You pretty much spend all your time practicing because... You're bound to do it wrong often. Learning guitar, something that I tried to do a few years ago. Erica's working on it now. It's like you spend a lot of time just trying to correct all your mistakes. So I would argue this morning that failure is not only an option, sort of the price tag for good stuff, right? So let's open up to Matthew 14 because we're going to look at a doozy this morning. Set the stage. Matthew 14. So first off in the chapter, Herod has killed John the Baptist. And John the Baptist thinks that Jesus, who's doing all these miracles, is actually John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that's not crazy talk because how were they related? Oh, they were cousins. They probably looked alike, about the same age. And they both were like these these amazing miracle workers. And so he's like, that's big. Jesus hears about John the Baptist's death, and in the beginning of the chapter, again, we're not reading this, I'm just going to high-level overview it. He's like, this is big. So he, he takes off by himself in a boat just to get away from it for a little bit. And then about the same time, the people hear about John the Baptist's death, and they start to come out in mass. You know, they want to see this Jesus. Jesus gets back on the shore, Sea of Galilee is where we're at, and, and he starts to heal them all day. Gets to be nighttime, his disciples are like, okay, Jesus, party's over. It's time to let everybody go home. Jesus is like, these people are hungry. Why don't we feed them here? 
and they, of course, say, well, we've got nothing, you know, just a few loaves, a couple fish, you know, that's it. Jesus like, you know, bring it in. Let's see what happens. So they pray over it. They pass it out and they bring it back in. And there's, of course, 12 baskets full, you know, 12 disciples. Who knows? Coincidence? Uh, maybe, maybe not. So so at the end of this thing, the disciples are like, well, this is big. But you know who's even more wowed by it? Now, we haven't read the account yet, but we're not going to go through all of this. But if you go over to the John account, you find out that they're really wowed. They think that Jesus is the man that is going to take them away from all this Roman hostility. You remember, Israelites, they're under oppression of the Romans. You know, the Romans are taxing them. They don't let them, you know, do the whole capital punishment thing. And they're tired of it. They're waiting for the new king, right? And they're like, this Jesus guy is it. So they're ready to make him king. And that's where we start. So let's go to first. I need to come up with a sign so that I'm not telling Denise all the time where to. Good. Okay. So not often do you get pictures, but we're going to give you some pictures today. So the 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 first thing that's going to happen is these guys are going to go out in a boat, right? So our very first verse immediately. This is John, Matthew 14:22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. So let's talk about the boat he got into first. So it's called the Jesus boat. Well, that boat wasn't. But they found a boat in about 1986 that they think looks like what would have been used in the first century. So this boat right here, uh, discovered in 1986 on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, it has 12 different types of wood in it. And I got to believe when the people first built that they didn't use 12 different kinds of wood. Maybe they used a few, but probably the things repaired over time. So this one they found uh, because of big drought, Sea of Galilee dropped down. Some guys were out kind of hanging out. They're like, there's a boat. They, you know, spend 12 days and they dig it up. So then they reconstruct it and it looks like that. Uh, so 25 feet long, seven feet wide, four feet high. How big is that? That's like from that wall to that wall. And then width is maybe from the front row to here and height yeah, from the you know, floor to here. So it's a decent sized boat, uh, but theoretically that thing holds a crew of four that can row, one helmsman, and it can have 15 passengers. That would be pretty tight, I think. So, uh, so anyway, uh, so back to the verse. If you want to open your Bible... Like I said, we're in Matthew 14. We're starting in verse 22. And that is, I'm going to follow in Ben's footsteps here. He would say, that's on page 566 of your pew Bible. And he would also say, if you don't have a Bible of your own, take one with you. I mean, one of the churches, not just anyone, because that could be awkward. You're like, honey, I lost my Bible today. Well, so, okay. So um, let's read 14, 22, and 23 together. Well, I'll read it. You read it in your head. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. So there was three groups of people here, right, or three constituents. First, the crowd. And and Jesus, his goal is to send them away ultimately, right? And it's like, well, why is he so eager to send them away? He's been healing them and everything. I remember I told you in John chapter uh, 6 that these guys are ready to make him king. And he's like, 
this is not in line with God's motives right now. This is not the time. So he's getting ready to disperse them. But before he does that, he's like, I'm going to take these 12 guys here, my disciples, and I'm going to put them in a boat and I'm going to head them for Capernaum. And, you know, it seems pretty innocent at that point. I mean, he compels them. He's like, he's not messing around. He's like, gentlemen, get in that boat. Get out there. And I think the word is a pretty strong word. It's not like he's inviting them to do this. He's like, now. You know, he, he uses his command voice, right? And, uh, and they go. One of the things that I love about the King James Version here is it says it was, they were his disciples. So anybody know what disciple means? It's a learner. I know you guys are like, is that rhetorical? Is it not? I never know what that guy. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a learner. And I, our first challenge today is, are you Jesus' disciple? A disciple is someone who wants to pick up the good habits and the good traits of, of whoever they're learning from. And these guys had committed their lives, right? They had, they had been called to follow Jesus, and they were doing it. He doesn't call the crowds his disciples. He calls them like the multitudes or the crowds or whatever. Uh, but he calls these guys, they're like, these are my disciples and they're ready to learn. And they, you know, they submit themselves to him. They jump in the boat and they head towards Capernaum. And then he says to the crowd, you know what? It's time for you guys to go. Uh, and it even says in Matthew and John that they slipped away, you know, that he slipped away into the mountain. So I kind of imagine first he's like, I can't slip away with 12 guys following me around. That would be impossible. And then two, you know, who knows how he slips away because I bet there's some people kind of hanging around, you know, always holding up their lighters or like encore, encore, whatever. And, uh, you know, Jesus is like, okay, we're done. So he, he goes up into the hills and he prays. If you've ever had a lot of people over at your house and, you're, and the evening goes great, you know, you, maybe you've made dinner or whatever, but then everybody's finally out the door. You're exhausted. Doesn't that, it's that feeling, then it's like, and you're by yourself. And, and all of a sudden you think, what a, what a day. But it feels good to be done with that day, even if it was a fantastic day. So Jesus, he draws away by himself and he prays. I'm like, that's fantastic. You know, it's like after this big day where he has just basically said, you know what? It's not time for me to be king now. That's that's, you know, God's got a different plan. And uh, and and he sent the disciples on towards bad stuff, as we'll find out in a minute. And he's off by himself praying. That's awesome. So then let's go to actually let's go to our next slide because this is important. So this slide we'll just spend here for a second. This is sort of Israel, that whole area. Big spot in the middle, that is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, next slide. So this is my professional rendition of probably where they were. I drew a picture of their boat right there. Uh, that's probably the, looks like the actual boat. You know, one wonders why they didn't just take 92 and go up to over to 87. But <laughs> the roads weren't as good then. Maybe the car was broken down. I'm not sure. So basically, we learned from, uh, we learned from John. They're heading towards Capernaum. And by the time he's going to get there, they'd probably gone three or four miles. So they'd gone a ways. Let's uh, read the next, go to the next slide, and we'll read the next verse. So now we're going to read Matthew uh, 24. Uh, sorry, 14, 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I love that word beaten. So other translations, I like to read other translations when I'm preparing to teach, say buffeted, battered. It was even one version says it was taking a beating. And I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty strong wind and it's, it's against them, right? And if you've ever spent any time on the water, 
it can be a scary place, uh, especially when you feel like things aren't going well. You'd, you'd like to believe that, uh, that when you're out in nature, that you're working in harmony with nature, that everything's going your way. If you're rowing a boat, that the wind is at your back and you're sailing the, the right direction, that, you know, maybe whatever, that the temperature is good, that it's all good. For these guys, the wind was against them. And not just the wind, the waves, it was dark, it was night. And these guys weren't, you know, it's not like you grab 12 people from Prairie View pretty randomly and throw them in a boat. These guys were, you know, they were fishermen. A lot of them had been on the water for a long time. And their job was to just get, oh, can you roll back one slide? Sorry. Just to get from, you know, point A, probably across over to Capernaum, wasn't a huge distance, you know, maybe six miles, something like that. And yet they were struggling. And we'll see how long in just a minute. Okay, you can go forward. So the wind is against them. What you should know on the next slide is, um, you know, the verse says, but the boat and its time long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. These storms come up pretty suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. And why is that? Well, there's these mountains, especially along the northwest side. Well, there's mountains all around it, uh, or hill, big hills. And, and um, the cooler wind will come over the hills, uh, like from the ocean or whatever, from the, from the yeah, and... And the valley has hotter air, and what will happen is it will come over, and, of course, cold air drops, and hot air rises, and it creates, well, a storm. So this is not that unusual. The problem is these guys are out on it, and they're just trying to get across. I looked up, and again, the Internet says, you know, you could go like four miles an hour in a boat if you've got a few guys rowing. So they have spent a long time rowing. They're not making good progress. Let's go on to verse 25. Through 27, and it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So there's kind of a lot to unpack in these verses. First, fourth watch of the night. What does that mean? So that so the Romans divided up the evening from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. into like four chunks. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 to midnight, midnight 3, 3 to 6. This was the fourth watch, so it's 3 to 6, right? So that means, say they got in the boat at, you know, what, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock maybe, you know, starting to get even the first watch. They had been out on this thing for seven hours, something like that. It's dark. They're tired. They've been rowing. They're not making great progress. Their job was not to hang out on the lake all night. This was not a pleasure cruise. This was just get to Capernaum. I'll meet you there. And things start to get a little crazy. So imagine yourself. Look around. See if you can find 12 people that would be in the boat with you. Nobody's looking around. Because somebody's got to be Peter in a couple minutes. So, uh, okay, so look around. 12 people. You're in a boat. You're getting a little grumpy, maybe. A little tired. It's been a long day. It's been a big day. You don't ever know what happened with the crowd. Remember the crowd and you got shooed away? And you're like, there was cool stuff happening there. They were going to make him king. You know, things were starting to happen. And you don't know what happened. You don't know that Jesus went up to pray. So then you've been hanging out. The spray is beating on you. And all of a sudden, somebody, you know, maybe it was John, one of the young guys, they were like, I think I see something, you know, off in the distance. Nobody else sees anything for a while. And, you know, he keeps looking, you know, way out, you know, because, again, it's dark. And after a little, he's like, no, I'm, I'm sure I see something. 
And people are like, what have you been drinking? You know, remember, that comes up in Acts again, right? So that's a valid, a valid excuse for doing dumb things, even in the scripture. And, uh, and, and they're like, what, what do you see? And he gets closer and closer, and everybody's like, man, I see it too. And then their first thing is, it's a ghost. So here's what I won't do. I, I wanted to yell right now because it says in the scripture that they yelled. And then they said it's a ghost, but Austin counseled me that yelling may not be his first choice. See, I'm even getting a thumbs up, so that was a good choice. <laughs> There's more chances. So, uh, so, so they yell, uh, kind of like in panic, and then they say, it's a ghost. And then after a while, things start to resolve a little bit. You know how when sometimes it's dusk or it's night and you see something, but you don't really know what you're seeing? And then after a while, it sort of resolves in your head, and you're like, I know what I'm seeing. So at first they say, it's a ghost, and they're like, oh, maybe not. And then as he gets closer, um, they cry out in fear. But immediately, so Jesus hears all this and he speaks to them and he says two things. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not fear. And I would say if you follow Jesus, one, it is not safe. He sends you to these crazy places. And. Then when he gets there, he doesn't make the craziness go away. He says two things. He says, one, don't be afraid. It's me. And, uh, and then he says, or he says, take courage. It's me. Get rid of the fear. And I think that's pretty good advice. It's like, okay, following Jesus here, trying to do my best. You've said go. I've said it's, you know, something's not working right because I'm in the middle of this storm. Jesus shows up. You're like, it's good. You know, time to be done with the storm. He says, no, he's like, take courage. You know, don't be afraid. So they try to, uh, although, you know, you've got this one guy. So let's read verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you. So he's still a little bit. He's not completely sure yet. He's like, could be somebody else out there talking to us. Who knows? Uh, Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So my, the lesson I take from this is Peter wanted to be with Jesus so badly that he was willing to get out of a pretty unsafe boat and get onto water, which is crazy, and walk to Jesus. I wonder how bad I want to be with Jesus. You know, do, would, would I be that guy? You know, again, look around at the 12. If there was 12 of you, who would be that guy? So I take three lessons from this. I almost held up the wrong, maybe four. Now I've got to look at my notes. Um, Peter didn't presume that jumping out of the boat was God's will. He didn't think that. He asked. He's like, God, I've got this crazy idea. What do you think? And Jesus is like, yeah, sounds good. Two, this opportunity didn't come when things were going well. It came when things were actually going pretty bad. So, you know, we like opportunities when everything's going pretty good. But this one came in the middle of the storm. Number three, he was the only one to see the opportunity. Like, it's not like everybody was like, hey, let's go see Jesus. He's out on the water. Matter of fact, I would say my lesson number four is they thought he was crazy, I bet. So they're like, not only did I not see this as an opportunity, but he's coming this way already. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good boat and try to walk on water when he's already coming here? So then I think about people that do stuff for Christ, that do stuff for God. And I think sometimes I think they're crazy. 
And so one example might be um, people going around the world to be missionaries. They uproot their lives. We hear from them regularly here. And I'm like, boy, is that going to be me someday? And I'm like, that, that would be hard. But they felt that call and they said, God, is that me that's supposed to go there? Something else crazy. Each week we pass this bag in front of you. And some of you guys have worked really hard to earn money. But you drop some in that bag. There's other people that are going to say, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You do that because that's what God says is good. Sometimes we think, okay, maybe going to Pine Haven. Who would do that? That's crazy. But you know what? The trustees have it on their hearts, and they're like, we're going to go minister to these people. We're going to work hard and make some stuff happen. There's some people that are like, that's, that's not for me. Other people are like, I'm there. There's a million things. Could be teaching. Could be all sorts of things. Not everybody's called to everything. Peter was called to get out of the boat and go find Jesus where he's at. And does Jesus give him a bunch of directions? He's like, okay, walk carefully, you know, be thoughtful. He says one thing. He's like, come on. Why is that? Because success didn't depend on how great a job Peter did. Success depended on how much faith he had in Jesus Christ. And he apparently had enough, right? Because by the time he starts to sink, he's clearly out of reach of both the boat and Jesus, right? Because it doesn't say any, you know, grab the boat or he grabbed onto Jesus or whatever. So let's keep going. Verse 30 and 31. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Who wouldn't be? And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So first, I think we give Peter way too hard a time. You know, when I think about it, I was going to do this, but I'm not. Uh, this would be a good youth group thing. I was going to have you all concentrate on me and then have come, someone come in the back and scream as loud as they could and see who looked and say, I uh, made you look or whatever. But that would be great for a youth group, probably not great for Sunday morning. It's not hard to get distracted, right? So things happen, and this wind is all around, you know, again, the spray and whatever. He's looking at Jesus, and, you know, he might have even just looking past Jesus and be like, that's a lot of wind. I don't know what I'm doing out here. And all of a sudden, he starts to sink. So I did the calculations. You've got, like, uh, I think the perfect size guy is about 5'9", maybe 5'10", probably 180, 190 pounds. So I did the calculations on how long it would take that person to drop, like, Five feet, ten inches. Do you know how long it takes? Half a second, maybe. You know, maybe 0.6, you know, a little water resistance. Do you know how long it takes to recognize there's a problem, scream like a little girl, and then ask for help? It takes a good two, three, four seconds. So I'm thinking that even now, you know, this isn't like Peter's like, whoosh, and under the water. I'm thinking he sort of does the slow thing. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking that because Jesus is still there. You know, remember, Jesus is a big part of this. So, you know, he doesn't get to the glub, 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 glub thing, you know, as fast as you might think. You know, he's sort of like, ah, oh, that's not good. He screams. He says, help me. And also, you know, then Jesus steps in, grabs him, and pulls him up. So even Peter's safety, right, relied on Jesus being strong enough to grab him and pull him out. Love that part. And, uh, and I never heard that in another sermon either, so that's special to you guys. Might be completely wrong, but uh, anyway. So, uh, so then they go back, and it says they get in the boat, which if you've ever gone skiing or anything, getting back into a boat 
not that easy. They didn't put like stairs on the outside of this boat, you know, so it passes it by. But I think that was probably a minor miracle. And uh, and and then um, let's see, where are we at? But when he saw the wind, so the wind was crazy. Oh, you of little faith. So let's talk about this part. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? So I didn't see that as like Jesus getting mad at him. Like, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I saw it as like, um, well, if you manage uh, people ever uh, or even your children, one way to do that, uh, studies say, well, is called the Socratic method. And the Socratic method is to, to coach by asking questions, you know, to try to get the person's mind working on the problem and how to fix it. So Jesus right here, like I might have waited until I was, you know, sort of at, you know, at home and in our next one-on-one or whatever they had. But right then he's like, you know what? You have little faith. What happened out there? You know what? Why did your faith go? And I think that's pretty impressive. One, that Jesus was interested not just in the problem, but he was interested in how do you get better at this, Peter? And I don't picture it like Jesus yelling at him, like hammering on him. I'm like, I think he says it lovingly. He's like, oh, you have little faith. You know, what happened? You know, what, what do we do about that? If you remember, a little faith, it doesn't take much the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. So being called a guy of little faith isn't maybe the criticism that we might think. So I vote for Peter on this one. Boy, I hope I'm a guy of at least little faith because that buys you quite a bit. And then we're going to bring it home here. Verses 32 and 33. Now there's still a few minutes to go, so don't get excited if you're like dying to get out of here. Because there's some important stuff here. So, um, you know, one thing I should say about this whole before we move on to the next verse. um, So let's apply it for a minute. Okay, you're a disciple. You're like, boy, I want to do good stuff. And you have this situation where you don't. You fail. Matter of fact, do you know what the word for sin is in the Bible? Tamertia. And the point of it is it's like falling short. So it's like you're out shooting a bow and arrow. There's a target. The point of sin or hamertia isn't that you kind of miss the bullseye. You're not quite perfect. It's like you miss the target altogether. You fall short. You know, you're, you're not even close. Failure, really, right, at shooting the arrow. And that's what sin is for us is it's just we fall short. It's failure. And so sin comes up regularly in the Bible. You and I, if we are trying to do big stuff, we will fail regularly. So what do we do about that? Number one, don't complain about it. It's like everybody goofs up, okay? You're going to fail. That's going to happen if you're trying to do hard stuff. Number two, take responsibility. You don't have to say, oh, that failure didn't happen. It's like, okay, boy, tried to do that and it didn't work out. Number three, seek forgiveness from God, from yourself, from others who you failed, but get through that part. Number four, celebrate the fact that you're trying big stuff. Number five, learn from the failure. Number six, recommit yourself to doing it better next time. So pretty easy. It's like, okay, did this thing. We should have gone better. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Recognize that I could learn something from it. You know, you have a little faith. And then you move on to the next try. So then verses 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Didn't even ask this time, you know, that maybe we'll we'll read uh, six chapters earlier, Matthew 8. But the last time, Jesus was like, okay, calm down. And it did. This time it was almost like, okay, the wind knows what's coming. It's like, okay, we're done. Uh, And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. So let's roll back 
If you've got your Bible open still, let's read a quick uh, section from Matthew 8, verses 24 through 27. It's the last time they were in a boat, and a storm was there. So Matthew 8, 24 through 27. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And when they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind, winds and sea obey him? So just six chapters earlier, similar thing, right? You know, the Jesus calms the storm, and they're like, Hey, wait a minute. There's something funny about this guy. Six chapters later, they proclaim that he is deity, that he is the son of God. That's a pretty big leap. And then two chapters after this, Jesus is going to be saying to the disciples, hey, who do men people or who do men say that I am? And then it's Elijah, John the Baptist. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And who is it? Peter. And what does he say? You are the Christ the son of the living God. So I'd argue that part of the cost of Peter coming to that recognition, a recognition that all of us benefit from, is a little time walking on the water, doing some crazy stuff for Jesus. And uh, I appreciate him for that. I would say to us this morning, we're in one of three camps probably. Camp number one is, hey, I, I don't know much about this Jesus character. Um, not sure. I wouldn't be the guy that would say, you are the son of God. I'm not there yet. That would say for you, boy, talk to after the message, talk to one of the elders. They'll be at the side. Talk to me. Talk to um, somebody that you know loves Jesus Christ and say, what is this thing all about? Because, uh, you know, it, you look at the length of time he taught, three years, and how much he impacted the world. There's something going on with this guy. I want to know more. And boy, uh, you know, I could use some help. So number one, maybe you're not ready to make the commitment that to, or make the statement that he is the son of God. Number two, you might be a Jesus follower, but you haven't been doing much discipling lately. You're not really like learning, right? You're sort of there and you're comfortable and you're like, okay, I'm good. Uh, you attend church and, uh, you know, maybe hopefully you read your Bible, listen to Caleb or whatever, but that's sort of the extent of it. You're like, I'm good. My life is set. I'm safe. I would argue again that Jesus will tell you to get into the boat and go into the storm. And that's no mistake. And that's the time when in the storm, there's opportunity and change to happen. Or you could be Peter. You could be that person that's like, I want to do something that other people think are nutty. I'm going to ask for permission, but then we're going to go and do this thing. And then halfway through it, you might think, but you recognize that Jesus is still there. You say, hey, save me. He reaches a hand down, and he does. I would say, yay for you. Uh, I hope that that's contagious to those around you. With that, we'll ask these guys to come up after I pray or while I'm praying because they're kind of sneaky like that. And uh, we will uh, ask God that we would be Peters, willing to step out of the boat, willing to even see the opportunity in the midst of the storm, take that step and, uh, you know, fail a little bit, but, but have a lot of success afterwards.
Dear Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for these guys and gals. I just ask that you would work on our heart, that we would learn to follow you, that we would follow in Peter's footsteps, that uh, he would be uh, our example, that we would uh, see opportunity where nobody else sees it, that we would ask you for the opportunity, that we'd step out of the boat, and that you'd make things happen. Truly, we recognize that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we thank you for uh, saving us from the goofy things we do. We thank you for the opportunity to worship this morning. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.